Having difficulty meeting suppliers in today's environment? Browse products and build strategic relationships with official National Restaurant Association show exhibitors right now by visiting directory.nationalrestaurantshow.com. The virtual marketplace is free to all food service professionals with unlimited connections available to show registrants. How can restaurants win coming out of the pandemic? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I brought back Naveen Negrani, Executive Vice President and Operating Partner with Hilco Real Estate, to answer this question. In June, Naveen gave us the pain train, or 10 pain points felt by operators during the pandemic. This time, he turned it around, discussing the gain train, or methods for operators to thrive coming out of it. The industry remains in a dark spot, even as some sectors have improved and a vaccine is on its way. Many operators are looking for ways to come out on the other side in healthy shape. Naveen looks at various methods to do that, including finance, operations, and real estate. Please have a listen. Okay, I'm here with Naveen Negrani. Naveen, welcome again to the podcast. Hey, Jonathan. Good to be back and hope you and your family are healthy. We're fantastic. So, uh, the last time I had you on, we talked. Uh, uh, you, uh, we talked uh, uh, for a while on uh, the pain train. You have a sequel to that. Tell us about it. Yeah. So, if you recall, when we had spent time earlier, it was at the start of the pandemic, and there was a lot of uncertainty as to you know what was happening, sort of uncharted territory, and. I put together, sure, I prognosticated a series of things, you know, unfortunately, most of them on the negative side. And, you know, we had this podcast called Pain Train. And, you know, as we are hopefully towards the, or certainly, you know, towards the end of the year, 2020 can't end soon enough. We have 20 something days left. But as we look around the corner with hopefully a vaccine, uh, hopefully Congress can get their heads together and put together some. Uh, second round of stimulus. Um, I think, and the political climate's going to hopefully subside a little bit. I think hopefully we're going to have the basis for, you know, I don't want to go as far as to say a renaissance in the restaurant industry, but hopefully uh, it's going to be objectively better. So I put together what I call the game train, um, 10 kind of thoughts to think through. And, you know, as, as we enter the holidays, uh, you know, I want to make sure that people are looking optimistically at the future. And so my hope is this conversation will spur some of those ideas. And uh, I'm glad that I'll be able to kind of walk through and discuss these things with you. So ready when you are. Super. I'm all about uh, positive and optimistic because. <laughs> yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I would also just note that, you know, through this pandemic, uh, you know, a lot of people have been um, trying to find a way to keep the beat going. And, you know, you and your, your media organization have been true north and your reporting and just providing good insight with, with all, without the volatility or sort of clickbaitness that you see in the media today. So I just, you know, I appreciate uh, that you've been able to kind of steer the ship there. Um, so, you know, kind of getting into it and just, just for context, uh, some of the ESPN highlights from the pain train. Again, I'm not going to get into them. Anyone could listen to the prior podcast. But the 10 themes that we had laid out were as follows. One, uh, these again, you know, difficult challenges ahead at the onset of the pandemic. 
one was just the onslaught of old operational expenses that would come to roost. So think of like deferred rents that would end up coming back, um, vendor payments, uh, you know, lawsuits potentially that would have to be defended. Um, there was discussion about macro trends, you know, high unemployment, you know, the roll up of stimulus money, um, you know, consumer spending kind of coming down. Uh, there was the onslaught of new operational expenses. So think about all the cleaning, the training, you know, the plexiglass, the, the lumber that was put up, uh, you know, all the things that people had to adhere to just to kind of operate in a post-pandemic environment. Um, we talked about a very worried lender community, you know, with existing lenders focused more inwardly on their portfolios and dealing with just trying to understand how to keep their existing pool of uh, restaurant clients kind of in motion, uh, helping them apply for PPP money and, you know, just dealing with workouts. Uh, you know, obviously the restaurant industry revolves around capital for growth. So we talked about a work private equity community and a lot of challenges private equity groups would be having with their existing portfolios. Uh, we spoke at length about valuation challenges, which continues to be an issue where it's, you know, with the exception of perhaps some players like QSR, it's, it's incredibly challenging to value a restaurant chain right now. Um, we talked about the higher costs for independence, you know, where, you know, the, the cost incurred for dealing with certain one-time expenses for, you know, uh, applying for PPP loans, you know, setting up takeout delivery online, you know, apps, you know, you don't really have a lot of restaurants to spread it across, you know, if you, if you have just one. So we talked about those challenges. Uh, we talked about consumer behaviors and changes in that, you know, think about the adage of going to a dinner in a movie or going to work out and then, you know, having, having breakfast with your girlfriend afterwards. I mean, a lot of that has changed as behavior patterns that have sort of gotten thrown out the window. Um, and then we talked about local economies that are kind of in shambles. Think about tourist markets like Vegas, Orlando, and then certainly any sort of major office MSA like Chicago or New York. Uh, where, where just those people aren't going to work um, and just the restaurants that support those office communities, you know, having real issues. And then lastly, we just talked about the fallacy of dry powder and that, you know, in a very uncertain time, money's just not there to throw around. It has to, you know, understand what it's getting and, and earn a return. So all that sort of, I think, played out for the most part. And, and, and so now just kind of thinking prospectively in the future, um, you know, we'll get through these, these ideas that I laid out. There should be nothing earth shattering here, but, but hopefully we could kind of synthesize these in one places in one place and, and just make sure again, the, the hope here is there, there'll be an idea that kind of spurs some thought and creativity and, and, and get people's kind of mojo back. Um, so, so before I start, I would just say it's, it's a very important to remind everyone for the most part, everyone has to eat three times a day. Um, you know, it's just a question of how and where they are doing it. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's somewhat meta in thinking about it, but if you look at it from a first principles perspective and just keep that in the back of your mind that people have to eat, it's a physical need, uh, you know, that hopefully should, should create some ideas. And also, again, we have the stimulus, the widespread vaccine rollout and sort of a political um, environment, hopefully it will be a little bit calmer in the future. So, so now kind of getting into it, um, you know, one, a little bit esoteric, Jonathan, but, you know, I call it true colors. Mm -hmm. and, and what I mean by that is like, 
you know, the stars are always shining. It's only when it's dark, you get to see them. Um, and so like through this pandemic, I would just say at all levels, professional, personal, we've seen the absolute best and the absolute worst in people. And I think that's true in any sort of chaos or crisis. And with that, the restaurant business is a collection of people doing things. Um, you know, it's a service industry. And I, I believe that through this pandemic, it has created an opportunity, not only for people to like show themselves and, 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 and you get to see who's kind of quality people out there, but, but it's also an incredible time to find and or potentially upgrade talent at all levels of the organization. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, in general, my view is like in, in, at a time like this, there is no better time to, uh, than a, than sort of a crisis to take the steps that you need to take. Um, and you know, I mean, it's important to remember, I mean, the, it's, it's, um, uh, I mean, it's, uh, this is a really, you know, things are still, you know, obviously still fairly depressed in the industry. There's still a lot of talent out there. Um, and, uh, it's definitely, I mean, I remember talking to someone who, who said that they use the quarantine as an opportunity to improve the, um, to improve the quality of their staff. Uh, and that, um, that they, you know, they were now, I mean, since, I mean, it, this is, this was a fast food operator, you know, and, and, you know, the, the, the fast food business has a tough time getting people right now, but what, but early in the pandemic is that they, they viewed it as a, an opportunity to get some really good people um, in really good spots and, 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 and saw it as an opportunity. And so, you know, when there's opportunities, you always need to take advantage of those so, sorts of things. And, you know, right now it seems like, you know, I mean, the unemployment rate um, is certainly at, uh, you know, uh, at a pretty elevated point, uh, approximately 20% industry unemployment right now. So yeah, I saw, I saw those numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just the, the basic punchline here is, is like, as people think about capital, sometimes people stare towards financial capital, but human capital is a pretty mm-hmm. big component. And, you know, this is a great time to just sort of upgrade. Um, and so, okay, pushing on. Um, the next item here I call it is an open bar. And what I mean by that is interest rates are incredibly low and will be for the near term future. I mean, I think mm-hmm. lenders are generally skittish, but money has to find a place to go. Liquidity, I mean, that's why you see the stock market at all time high, right? Just because mm-hmm. people need to put money to work. And anyone with lots of capital, so whether they're family offices, you know private equity groups, you know, overseas players, um, you know, there's, there are going to be lots of opportunities. It's certainly going to be a buyer's market. Again, maybe pushing aside fast food, fast food, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's a great time, for example, to explore franchising with low rates, high unemployment, as you suggested, and low rents on the, you know, today and on the horizon. And then it's also ironically, probably a phenomenal time to raise equity from high net worth individuals who have benefited, you know, we talk about a K recovery for those that have, you know, are professionals that have been somewhat insulated from the pandemic, you know, think about, you know, doctors or other, other practitioners that, that don't really have the impact of, you know, the COVID issues that you might see in the restaurant industry. 
you know, I think a lot of that money potentially can go in the form of funding restaurants in the form of private placements or, you know, your traditional syndications. And so liquidity needs a place to go. And while no one knows exactly where the floor is, I can certainly tell you that we are sort of in this open bar environment. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's certainly conducive to um, some sort of bounce from where we are. Yeah. And then just, yeah, what, do you want to add anything to that, John? Well, I mean, yeah, it's like, I mean, you mentioned interest rates, which are, are, are stupid low um, right now and, and will be for the, for, for the foreseeable future. There's still a lot of dry powder, certainly, on the private equity side. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of money that, that uh, is, is probably, you know, w- out there waiting to be spent and invested. Um, and uh, and I, I think that we've started to see a little bit of it. Um, yeah. you, you know, we've seen some, uh, some pretty interesting and notable deals, certainly in the restaurant space. And, you know, if, you know, and uh, you know, this as well as anybody else, but a really good idea is always, you know, I mean, um, uh, is, is always going to be funded and, and, um, you know, so I, I mean, I think that there's definitely some possibilities out there for, um, you know, companies to, uh, you know, get the expansion capital that, that, that they're going to need. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, I, I think that it's, it might be a little bit more fruitful even than I think people would, would imagine, um, yeah. forward, especially with a vaccine out there. Yeah. And, and you're starting to see sort of creative deal structures come to the, uh, fruition, right? Like, you know, we saw early in the pandemic, Work made a preferred equity investment in Cheesecake, which was phenomenal. It, was, it reminded me of what Warren Buffett did with Goldman Sachs during the Great Recession, where they mm-hmm. sort of protected themselves in, in terms of how they structured that deal. But they, they both believed Cheesecake was too big to fail. Uh, but you are seeing all sorts of creative deal structures. Uh, you know, Callaway Golf as a strategic bought Top Golf um, as a way to potentially get to a consumer base. Uh, we've seen this blockbuster uh, go private transaction of Duncan by Inspire Brands. You are certainly seeing you know elephants moving in the jungle. You know, let, let you know we could get into a whole podcast series on SPACs, and rather than just sort of talk about, you know, the pros and cons. I mean, there's a lot of capital that's potentially aggregated out there looking for kind of that cool, special situation to deploy capital. And so, you know, I think all of this is great because it shows that money is going to start flowing again as you started to see these creative deals kind of come out and then there'll be sort of a pattern. There'll be sort of like a baseline. There'll be an acceptance that we've sort of hit a floor and then, you know, who knows what we're going to see from that. Maybe you're going to start to see strategic acquisitions from public companies because they're sort of got the liquidity of capital markets and they, they could do bolt-on acquisitions. Um, you, might just see, you might start to see consolidation uh, where people look to, you know, take advantage of, you know, a strong GNA platform and, and sort of consolidate operations into one sort of business similar to what Landry's has done although he's done it historically through the bankruptcy arena. Um, so you're going to, I think you're just going to start to see a lot more deal structures and things evolve from some of the creative stuff that we've been seeing over the last six months. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I would not be surprised to see some, definitely some, some more strategic deals coming out of this. Um, because I think the last several months have, have proven to us that it really does help to be part of a large restaurant company. 
Yep. Um, and then you saw the Inspire Brands deal for for Duncan, and um, you know uh, that's you know that 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 was that's a huge deal. Um, uh, so you know you, you sort of wonder if if you're going to see one of the other big ones like RBI make uh, start you know uh, make yep. a deal. There's there's um, you know I, if, I that wouldn't surprise me at all to see them jump on something. Um, and there's certainly opportunities out there for them. Of course, you mentioned SPACs. There's like two restaurant specific SPACs out there looking for sizable deals. Um, well, whether they find yeah, them is yeah. remains to be seen, but they're still, they're still out there. There's investment cash right there um, that would take two fairly large companies uh, public. Um, there are two others, uh, the one, one from Starbird and, and the one from, and there's one, you know, uh, Tillman has one. Uh, yeah. We forget about that. Tillman has one. Um, uh, so those are a couple of other deals. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I mean, I, it, it, it would seem to me like in 2021 could be a really, really, really big M&A deal. hundred uh, percent. And, and then, you know, with all that, well, fast food historically has never been, it's never had like the cachet of like some of these Paula's casual brands or remember when fast casual started to come to the forefront, you know, following the success of models like Chipotle, but like the fast food industry has kept the beat going in the restaurant industry. You know, it's, it's kept capital interested in the market. Uh, people have seen that it's resilient, uh, even in a pandemic. And so, you know, I would just say that the fast food industry has finally gotten its um, credibility and, and, you know, we talk about creative deal structures, but there is just kind of lots of just great, value in the QSR arena. So, you know, just important to say that it doesn't all have to be creative. So, so anyways, I'll push on from that. And then moving on, you know, there's been this Darwinism has sort of pressed the fast forward button in several years on a lot of niche and growing business ideas. So think about all these ghost kitchen, online delivery services, there will be, you know, more proliferation of that, um, you know, going forward. My guess is that there's going to be Darwinism within those subcategories. Like you're not going to see all these different online players. There's probably going to be several that make it out. Uh, but then also with that, there's been widespread rollout and development of things that just make the restaurant industry better. You know, think about like order kiosks and lower labor costs and other advancements. And so I think the pandemic is just forced the efficiency and development of technology and other business models to just sort of help adapt. And those things create advantages that I believe will be sustainable for the restaurant industry. Oh yeah. One of the best things, one of the biggest positives coming out of this is that it is, uh, is that the pandemic has forced a lot of restaurant companies to sort of get off, you know, you know, sort of get off the bench when it comes to technology and, yeah. and start doing things. Um, and that's, you know, and that, and that, and, you know, and then, and then that serves to, you know, to add efficiencies to the industries, you know, well, well enough. I mean, the, the, one of the biggest challenges that there, you know, that, that we had in the pre pandemic times was that employees cost too much, that, uh, that labor costs were, were soaring and the industry really needed to address this this fundamental inefficiency that it has, and this 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 heavy reliance. You're always going to rely very heavily on labor. Obviously, it's a service business, um, yeah. but uh, you know it it needed to get more efficient. There needed to be ways for this industry to to be more efficient, and then it just sort of addressed the model. And 
you know, and, and while I'm still, I still have a great deal of skepticism about ghost kitchens and, and virtual brands and things like that. The one thing that's, that's cool about that is that, is that it, it actually does deal with, with the efficiency of, of, of the industry. And, and it's a different way of looking at the, at, at the business, this, this, this influx of technology also um, helps. I mean, you know, we're probably next year, there's going to be uh, you know, more than one concept that has, uh, that has uh, automated or order takers, um, which yep. is interesting. So you know, a robot's going to be taking your order. I mean, the technology has been there. Um, there's nothing really stopping it except expense. So it's sort of gotten people sort of off the technology couch, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and, and, and I think just kind of back to the, the, the point here is that Darwinism of this pandemic or the pandemic and the resulting sort of implications for it is going to result in just the advancement of these technologies and then also the acceptance because everything just sort of got thrown up in the air is sort of like, all right, what do we do? And, and you know, that, that's created the disruption to allow for these. And there's probably going to be a lot of disruption within the disruption um, as people figure out the right kind of business models. But, you know, you're certainly going to see that um, kind of push out. So, uh, you know, I think, I think we cover that. Uh, you know, my next item here is that I call it just kind of the advisors come to the rescue. And what I mean by that is, you know, in the restaurant industry, there's a bunch of constituents or mechanics that work on deals, whether they're, you know, attorneys, whether they're investment bankers, you know, operational consultants, you know, people who deal with human capital and, and placement of people, you know, real estate folks, you know, you've really gotten to see a chance for some of these players who've been heavily involved in the restaurant industry to really come to the table, roll up their sleeves and add real value versus mm -hmm. just kind of the blocking and tackling of, you know, growing by a site or, you know, working on an M&A deal. I mean, it's, it's been very unique and specialized. And, you know, you think about all of the, I mean, it almost ad nauseum, the amount of panels and Zoom calls and, and but, but all of that has resulted in just, a group of people within the restaurant industry that typically just service the restaurant industry as consultants have really come to the table, you know, and, and help steer people through these issues. And, and from that perspective, it's been great. In particular, a lot of restaurant executives that might have lost their job and found new opportunities to serve on boards. Um, you know, I have a friend that I just placed in a, in a restaurant chain that came out of a bankruptcy. I'm not in the human capital business, but I knew the lender, I knew this guy. It was a very easy sort of introduction to make, and he's got a new opportunity. He's got new equity, and you know he's as excited as he can be because he's now has an opportunity to kind of create real wealth for him and his family based on sort of what happened here. So it's just it's just been great for people to kind of come to the table and add some value, particularly on the constituent consultant you know advisor side. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of talent out there, and you know, and they certainly can be. I mean, they can help, uh, um, you know, I mean, they can help companies get through some of this. I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, especially when, you know, we're still still dealing with a fairly unprecedented event. Um, nobody's been through this, um, you know, not on mass like this. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and, nobody, and, and nobody can reasonably be expected to have to deal with all of these things on their own. And so, you know, and so there is definitely a lot of talent out there that, um, you know, that companies can and should access to, to, to help them get through some of this. Yep. And then, and then, you know, what I'll do here is 
I, I've got a few like specific ideas on the sort of real estate side. I and mean, we've been talking mm-hmm. kind of, you know, pretty high level macro themes. And I, I thought that I'd just jump in and give, give folks sure. some ideas. You know, I forgot to mention just by context, you know, I'm a partner at a company called Hilco Global in the real estate group. I focus on a variety of things, including, and I'm specifically involved in the restaurant industry, doing a lot of real estate advisory work, more special situations. Um, you know, we've represented almost every major restaurant chain that's filed bankruptcy since the pandemic started, dealing with things like lease restructuring, you know, own property sales, et cetera. And so, you know, with that as a backdrop, here are some kind of out of the box ideas. So one, um, you know, certainly there's an opportunity given that we're in a favorable, um, a less favorable real estate market for growth. Uh, if you think about all the closures, you know, the opportunity to exit poor locations. Um, again, this is assuming you're not in a bankruptcy dealing with things like leases that come up for renewals and trying to reduce the rents. Um, you know, you're certainly going to be in a position where you have more bargaining power, particularly if you have a concept that draws energy and traffic. And, and so, you know, from a lease restructuring perspective, uh, there's just a lot of action there in the horizon, um, particularly in some things that people don't really think about, like just, you know, boring lease renewals. So, you know, just, just important to mention that uh, getting a little bit more, um, sort of on the exciting curve um, and and a little bit outside the box, you know, it's probably going to be one of the most favorable environments that I can think of since I've been in the industry to actually buy real estate on the cheap. So if you think about it, if you're an operator, you've historically had to deal with just a very aggressive, you know, say leaseback market, you know, competitive market to get that main and main space. But just given all the widespread vacancies, there's sort of an arbitrage angle where you could buy real estate that's vacant on sort of a per square foot basis. And if you're the tenant, um, there's a bit of an arbitrage in that, you know, as soon as you occupy that space, you can go out and sell that property as a, as an investment to a third party, whether it's an institutional read or like a, you know, a doctor that's in a 1031 exchange. And so there's going to be angles to leverage real estate um, from an ownership perspective to help, create um, sort of pockets of capital that just are unique because you're an operator. Uh, does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. I mean, the, the opportunities are, are, are clearly there, right? I mean, it's um, and you know, and, and to me, it would seem like there's opportunities to just, you know, buy and own your own real estate that haven't been there for a while. Exactly. Um, a lot of and lenders like that. Yeah. And lenders like that because there's, there's collateral. It's not just enterprise value. And then mm-hmm. even some of the institutional funds, Jonathan, like there's a, there's a, there's a group, um, there's a gentleman by the name of Bill Lenahan. He's the CEO of Four Corners Property Trust. He just put together a fund to go out and buy vacant properties, knowing that there's that, that arbitrage angle. So there's definitely going to be, to your point, you know, opportunities to do that. Um, also, um, the, the, the angle or, sort of the measure of growth is changing. Um, You know, a lot of franchisees have development agreements that they've had to adhere to, but a lot of those are being reimagined. So from from the perspective of, you know, you don't necessarily need as much in-room dining perhaps. So maybe the remodel requirements are different. Maybe there's more flexibility for franchise systems to allow for the conversion of an existing restaurant versus the development of a new one. So when you think about it from that perspective, 
the reverse build to suit or conversion plays are going to be awesome. It's going to be not only, it's not only going to be cheaper to convert an existing restaurant, um, but it's also going to allow an operator to get to market faster, right? Because sometimes it could take a year, you know, to build the right type of restaurant. If you think about like a, you know, big box, you know, and, and dealing with seasonality. And so just the, the, the ability to get restaurant real estate that's been idle and converted um, and use that as a mechanism to growth is, is going to be phenomenal. Yeah. And a lot of companies are sort of preparing themselves for that. I mean, they've, we've seen, um, you know, uh, we've seen a lot of restaurant companies putting together new prototypes. A lot of these ideas are sort of built on the idea of taking advantage of the real estate market. You have a lot of chains that are, 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 are basically setting themselves up for this particular market. Um, mm -hmm. And some really big ones, Dunkin', Starbucks, uh, McDonald's, um, Burger King, um, all sorts of companies are, are we, uh, I mean, the amount of activity we've actually seen on the develop, on the sort of, um, prepare to develop front yeah. from, from a change has been actually astounding. I mean, we've written yeah. about, um, I mean, I can't tell you how many, right. How many new prototypes we've written about in just the last month. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen many of those and, and, and that's all exciting, right? Because mm -hmm all of that supply of excess restaurant real estate that that's come to market will come to market has to get absorbed somehow. Right. And so you're starting to see the demand drivers start to kind of evolve. And then, you know, what, I, what I would just kind of close out on here is sort of an angle for independence, um, you know, but specifically it could apply to other operators, but what, 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 what I'm going to prescribe here is a little bit unique in that, I don't think anyone's really doing this at scale. Um, so we, we can agree, Jonathan, that there's an imbalance right now where you have this excess supply of restaurants. Think about all the independents that have shut down, all the casual dining chains that have gone through bankruptcies and rejected leases, groups that have run out of PPP money and just thrown the keys to the landlord. I mean, you just have this weird market where you're going to have, and you are seeing all these restaurants in the market and the challenge is it's very difficult outside of what we just talked about about conversion plays it's very difficult to lease in this market because you know most restaurant operators are dealing with their own issues they're hoping for another round of stimulus and, and they're just trying to keep the feet going with just what they have and so what i consider to be a pretty exciting and novel idea is the following it's a concept of just coming in with a management agreement. So like, let's say um, there's a landlord behind a restaurant in downtown Minneapolis and, you know, there's a high-end restaurant that's shut down and you just kind of, the landlord's just sitting there, um, you know, not collecting rent and trying to figure out what to do. You could certainly try to lease the property, but that could potentially take months, if not years, just given the pandemic. So the idea I have is, you know, I, a restaurant group that's got infrastructure um, and the ability to kind of operate a restaurant could potentially go to this landlord and say, Hey, look, why don't we do like a one or two year management agreement? We can't actually sign a lease because there's uncertainty and you know, there's risk with it, but there's enough here in terms of infrastructure in your restaurant, you know, fixtures, furniture, equipment, um, 
you know, where we can come in and we'll operate the restaurant. You know, we probably might not get the same AUV as we did before, but you know, we'll do some takeout delivery. Maybe we'll do a little ghost kitchen action. And here's how we're going to structure it. You, you provide the space and it's there already and it's not producing anything for you. So that should be relatively easy. We'll reskin the restaurant. So we'll take out the, the name. So the prior owner doesn't come back, but we'll just operate the restaurant because everything's in there. And then what we'll do is we will pay you percentage rent. Again, we're not signing a lease, but like we're generating revenue. So we'll give you some money. We'll charge uh, a management fee based on sort of what the top line is. And then we'll just split the profits 50, 50. And I think you're going to see um, a lot of sort of weird situations like that on individual restaurants where there's really no leasing strategy and they don't want to tear down the property or they can't. And I think there's a really unique way today for a lot of people that have a lot of just human capital or access to people to jump into those opportunities and try to operate them on our management um, agreement where they can generate some money, put people to work, and then provide some sort of benefit to the, the landlord. And potentially it could end up being a scenario where the landlords make out like bandits because they're sharing in the profits of the restaurant versus historically they would just be collecting a rent check. Right, and the operator could probably test out a different idea or something along those lines. Yeah, um, exactly. That exactly could fit with you know, you know, you're 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 an operator and and you're looking for for you know a way to sort of test out this new type of concept that you have in the back of your mind that would theoretically work in the new environment. Um, uh, you know that uh, uh, you know, I mean that that idea that you have, you know, would certainly benefit both sides. Um, you know, potentially assuming that. Um, you know, I mean, assuming that the recovery is slower than, you know, that the recovery still ultimately takes some time and that there's a lot of risk and that sort of thing. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I love that idea. Yeah, particularly in markets like, um, like even if the recovery takes time, I still think you're going to see um, sort of this slow trickle of people coming back to work. I think people have gotten used to working from home. It works in many cases. And I still think that there's going to be some risk that restaurant operators are going to have in terms of signing new leases, you know, new long-term leases. So just the advent of something as simple as a management agreement, which is somewhat kind of unique, could be incredibly valuable and create, you know, jobs, create opportunity, and it could keep, create profit centers from, for, from both the, the people who have to come in and operate these restaurants and then the landlord. So again, just a, just kind of a, an idea for people to, conjure up some some thinking and and the whole purpose of this podcast and i appreciate being on here again was just to provide some ideas and excitement and hopefully some energy for people to just think that you know we are hopefully coming out of the woods and there'll be an opportunity to kind of thrive and sort of hopefully a, an upswing in the restaurant industry yeah. coming out of this pandemic yeah because i think um i mean i think the next couple of months are going to be tough but I mean, really, we do have, I mean, as, as we said earlier, I mean, we have a, we have a vaccine, we, it's, uh, it's going to be coming. Um, and, uh, you know, you definitely can see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and, and operators are, are going to have to prepare for, for what's going to be on the other side. Now, um, still a lot of uncertainty, but uh, I, you know, I mean, I think the one thing that we said, and it, it, you, you mentioned it at the outset of the podcast is, people always need to eat and you know yeah. they really like going out to restaurants and, and to a certain extent they kind of need it and yeah. um you know so 
um, there's definitely going to be a, a, a thriving business on the other side of it. Now, how it looks where it remains to be seen, but um, people need to, to prepare. So these were really good ideas. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate having a chance to chat with you and uh, I wish you a good holiday season. And, you know, I, I guess this was a sequel. I don't know if this will be a three-part series, but, you know, to the extent it will be, I'll, I'll think of something good to talk about if you choose to invite me here again. Yeah, well, we're going to have to think of another uh, play on the on the game, uh, pain train. <laughs> so, I don't know, Spain train? We'll talk about Spain. <laughs> yeah, we'll, 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 we'll figure it out, man. But uh, all the best to you, and um, have a great holiday season. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive. Before we go, I would like to put in a plug for all of our restaurant business podcasts, including Menu Feed, Buzzworthy Brands, and RB Daily. Subscribe anywhere you find your podcasts. This episode of A Deeper Dive was edited by Kimberly Kazmarek. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. You can find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and anywhere else. This is Jonathan Mays. I'm the host and producer of A Deeper Dive and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. Having difficulty meeting suppliers in today's environment? Browse products and build strategic relationships with official National Restaurant Association show exhibitors right now by visiting directory.nationalrestaurantshow.com. The virtual marketplace is free to all food service professionals with unlimited connections available to show registrants. (music) 